0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation, and today I'm speaking with Charles Lavoie, brand strategist at PBB Creative. We're talking about launching an Italian vodka brand in China, helping hockey become popular there, and why the best brand building strategy should be a blend of China's deep historical roots and beliefs, and today's pop culture and social media phenomenons. What is your favorite Chinese company and why?
1: So I would have to say Nongfu. Uh, Probably a lot of people in the West don't know Nongfu. Nongfu is one of the largest beverage brands in China. So obviously Chinese water is not flowing from the sink. So people in China drink Nongfu water every single day. But Nongfu is an amazing company that really understands branding. As I work in branding, they've developed a line of product and went into uh, teas and we're able to sell now a bottle of water for 200 kwa, 300 kwa, and they've just been consistent and they're delivering a message, quality and stuff. So I think that's a Chinese beverage brand, which has a lot of potential abroad as well.
0: Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore. But entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a guest.
1: Thank you, Todd. Really looking forward to it.
0: Now, the, first, the, the the question that you asked in the beginning, uh, you mentioned that uh, Nong Fu uh, water can actually, that you can actually, they, they sell it for 200, 300 quai now. Is that for real? It's been a while obviously, since
1: it's been. Obviously, they have the entry level Nong Fu right. water. Right bee per bottle but then they were de- able to develop because they have such a, a loyal customer base they were able to develop kind of special packaging uh, with exclusive bottle which you can't find online or you can only find online one uh, once or twice and then they really kind of developed from the existing distribution channel and kind of their brand which was a just normal kind of mineral water into a series of product and i guess over the last two years they, they've launched They've launched teas, they've launched like other uh, higher quality of mineral water, which obviously is very brand driven and they've just nailed it with everything they, uh, they've launched into the market. And, and uh, just the, the market seems to love their product and I do love their product as well. So. How important is it to
0: be unique in China these days for a brand, for a company, for a product?
1: Well, I think, you know, like uh, there's more and more markets. There's been a wave of all the foreign products coming. Obviously, Chinese uh, Chinese companies are also looking to uh, increase their margin and take uh, advantage of the, I say, I'd say, Chinese growing middle class. And people are just kind of looking more and more for value for their money. People who and can also, spend more is kind of what you're Yeah, said. they can yeah. spend more, looking more for their value for money, more educated so in that sense, it's not necessarily about being unique, but it's about like targeting a specific niche or a specific target audience and listening to their needs and really kind of uh, adapting your communication to their needs. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not really about just China. I think the world's getting more and more crowded with the ease of bringing a product to market. So I think uh, being able to stand out from the crowd is valid in China as it's valid in any market in the world. You've had a really interesting
0: career trajectory, and you and I were talking about how um, you had even ventured into the entrepreneurial space, having pitched uh, at China Accelerator before even uh, some some startup ideas that you probably had. Walk us through the trajectory, what you were into before, uh, how you ended up working in China, what's, where your fascination with the country came from.
1: Yeah, uh, so I'll try to make that short answer. But basically, <laughs> uh, I was a student in uh, Canada, got the opportunity to go study abroad. Obviously, uh, studying finance that kind of makes kind of China was the next big thing. And I just thought it'd be interesting. Arriving here from Quebec City to Beijing, uh, having traveled a little bit, but basically just opened my mind to a whole new different world. I just got hooked by the Beijing lifestyle, by the pace of life here. And after four months, uh, I was like, I can't just, that can't just be it. So after that, there was a job at the embassy here helping Canadian, came back, went back home, and then uh, kind of, I guess, maybe classic entrepreneur story, got a call from a friend, which I met studying here. And he was like, Hey, Charles, let's move back to China, start a vodka company. Obviously, my first reaction was, this is a stupid idea where you get that from. And uh, <laughs> uh, four months later. Not just a vodka
0: company, though, it was an Italian vodka company.
1: It is an Italian <laughs> vodka. Company. I, was, I mean, we, I was 23, to put in context. At the, hey, you at, don't
0: have to explain it. I mean, I
1: mean it's no, I mean, still working. I mean, to be honest, uh, like I do it anytime over again. Uh, right. It's been, it's been crazy, crazy years, obviously. The learning, right? A lot of things i would do differently but uh it was just like one of the smartest person i've ever met and then i just uh had to go back to china and i was like well if i'm moving back let's try an entrepreneurial story so it was very very entrepreneurial i mean when we started we didn't have a vodka we didn't have a brand we didn't have anything just kind of like bootstrap everything founded this theory in italy or like uh the narrative was well, French vodka with Grey Goose made it in the in the U.S. because there was uniqueness. There was this lifestyle, and then obviously there's strong roots between Italian Italian food and uh, Chinese connections. So they were like, "There's no Italian vodka." Wheat-based vodka is kind of the new big thing. Wheat Italian wheat is gonna it's gonna be able to develop a story around it. So it was very brand-driven. Obviously, it's kind of also the reason we went into vodka. So the business narrative from it, it was obviously the vodka, the Baijiu market was opening up to foreign spirits. Uh, right. we had wine, brown spirits coming. So we kind of made a bet on two white spirits with, the opening up of kind of cocktail culture in China. Yep. And vodka is a easy product to make for people with basically no experience in, uh, alcohol making, Yeah, uh, uh interest is more into brand driven kind of building. Uh, so we ended up, uh, creating the brand and then uh, raising a little bit of investment and then moving to China uh, made the order we had uh, six months later 20,000 bottles of vodka arriving in our storage in Beijing and then we we're like okay uh, first time we saw the bottles it's a lot of all, all alcohol yeah. so we start, need to start to sell it and then we arrived <laughs> we had done some market research obviously but uh, it was kind of the classic story where when it starts, the business plan that you made just kind of goes into the garbage. You kind of just need to start executing. Obviously, we had no, we we're not really no credibility into the market. It was a good product. It's still a good product. Uh, looking back at the time, uh, I think our the brand we created was really unique. Uh, so we were able to kind of get some traction on getting to hotels and bars and kind of really uh, uh, offline to be able to build a brand, like selling our vodka in exchange of marketing and event services almost. Yeah. And then in that sense, about a year and a half later, we were in 30 of the best venues in Beijing, distributed also in Shanghai and south of China in Guangdong, uh, all the five-star hotel from W Hotel, Conrad. We just kind of were doing an event, organizing event every every two weeks, Doing some sponsor, some sponsoring, so we kind of got into traction. Uh, a lot of the vibe on the market are who are these two young guy with this new kind of vodka. Every, uh, like a lot of people in the industry thought we were. We had a lot of funding, which was basically we had zero marketing money, so we kind of bootstrap. Yeah, but at the end of the day, we break down the hours and kind of the sustainable sustainability of the business model we were at it was not sustainable so about two years after we kind of we made deals with some distributors some was working some was not we kept expanding but then it was not really self-sustainable for us uh just kind of wasn't uh,
0: scalable truly
1: yeah it wasn't scalable and also like from a lifestyle perspective it was not sustainable so (laughs) too much partying uh, yeah I, i would say like i that kind of took away my, my love of life, of nightlife and uh, yeah. alcohol for a while. So we, we decided to keep with kind of our clients, which were, uh, and distributor, which were not consuming too much energy. And then that's when I, I started doing consulting into branding, first into food and beverage, and then eventually joining a, a Chinese uh, guy, Teddy now, uh, who I still work with, who had just started his branding agency, who were three people at the time. And then basically up until today, uh, we still kept uh, pushing this vodka, but more as a sideline business. We have distribution network in uh, five active cities in China, and then five others kind of are sporadic. It's a small business, uh, but, it's, uh, it's consistently grown. We've been very smart about kind of controlling cash flow and being able to kind of like be sustainable because I've seen a lot of companies coming and going in two, three years, just spreading money at the market. So that's an avenue we didn't want to do. Obviously, our projections on the growth of vodka market uh, were wrong. I think even the largest kind of vodka brands in China are still doing uh, very mod- modest numbers, mm-hmm. uh, I think. That's just because uh, it's the, the perception of vodka, the drinking habits of the Chinese culture is still very niche, to cocktails. So I think we, you know, we looked at the market and we're like, probably, you know, it's not, we're not gonna, if the market is not growing that much, we're not gonna be the company that's gonna make the market, the vodka market grow. That was kind of our, our sales yeah. beginning. Oh, we're gonna be the one transforming, but obviously you need, you realize that you need kind of, marketing resources to do that and obviously you need a market that responds to it so we changed our approach to be able to still be in the market and still have this i I still uh love this aspect of side, but then starting doing consulting this company kind of uh, the consulting company grew from three people to now 30 people so we've had a lot more and then the client uh diversified as well the beginning was a lot of foreign clients coming to china but now i would say that 80% 80% of the clients we work with are Chinese brands who are just trying to kind of grow their brands uh, both inside domestically. China yeah inside China uh, obviously our team transformed also from maybe uh, 40% foreigners 60% Chinese to now I would say 10% foreigner 90% Chinese uh, and then also some Chinese brands are kind of also looking to grow abroad so we help some of the Chinese brands like uh, Didi uh, which is the largest uh, car hailing company, the Chinese Uber. Mm-hmm. We've been working with them for three years. Uh, Relax, which is a Chinese e-cigarette, which is doing quite well into China, uh, also abroad, uh, and then a few other food and beverage companies.
0: I know that you moved into the sports world for a time and we're even trying to help launch the popularity of ice hockey in China. Talk a little bit about that experience. Um, Just, you know, I think it's an interesting, it's a unique take from other guests to talk a little bit about what it's like to, to work in a sports realm in China, not necessarily known for a large sporting populace. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm very active as we speak right now. That came about uh, two years ago. And that's one of the reasons, you know, I love living in Beijing, love living in China. It's kind of like opportunities come and you can mix your passion and your work. And obviously, it's also kind of accepted that you wear more than one hat. Obviously, my focus has always been on brand building and marketing, but with very different approaches. So, again, through the hockey community, which I, I just was saying, I play hockey here. So one of the guys who organized a hockey league here in Beijing uh, has been working in hockey for the last uh sp- Ten years i would say uh growing kind of hockey from a very grassroots level very operations organizing even like upon hockey every winter this event called hockey night in beijing <laughs> the, organizing hockey camps across china doing consulting for the nhl when they started coming two years ago to do like hockey kids camps and then i mean obviously it's still very niche uh so he was kind of One of the two or three hockey guys in China really active and he had, uh, he has a good network. One of the things that we started discussing, we kind of became friends over the time was a lot of the things that he was doing. Nobody knew about it. There was a lot of, uh, activation, but no kind of offline to online strategy, uh, both for his company, but for the brands that he was working on. So we started, uh, putting together a few proposals maybe two years ago. Uh, bringing the operation aspect of ice hockey to the branding and marketing and online and content creation. Uh, so video, photo, kind of documenting everything he's doing to be able to bring more value for brands. So it's been about a, it's been about a year since we've sent proposals to, uh, been in discussion with some NHL teams who are uh, looking to grow the market brands. Uh, We didn't really sign anything, but for us, it was always just a passion. And then up until, I would say, five months ago, then we start uh, start, uh, signing our first contracts. So we signed with uh, Bauer, which is the largest hockey equipment brand in the world, um, to be able to uh, grow their brand digitally. Uh, So managing their WeChat account and other social media accounts. One of the problems we were talking to a lot of people in the market is like the NHL has an account here and they do an events here, like trying to grow their brand, but they talk to the market. Uh, They're so disconnected from what's happening in the market. Mm. They talk about players. They talk about the games, the results, what's happening in North America and the penetration level. While there are 10,000, hockey players now in China compared to maybe two, 3000 a few years back Yeah, has a fast growth. The le- level of knowledge is very limited. So they don't know about Alexander Ovechkin are the best players. Right. They don't just know, kind of
0: talking over their heads there. a little bit.
1: So we started creating much more local content where just kind of simple hockey tips, covering simple local hockey stories, uh, connecting hockey and families hockey to education uh, making a little bit more lifestyle of what what you could kind of actually get out of hockey that is not hockey. And then that really worked our conversion rates for Bauer and the way like just we've seen over a couple of months and the, what people are interested like simple training you can do outside of the ice, what you should just going back to the basics of stuff that we learned that is just in our roots as Canadian uh, that like uh, we often forget that we need to kind of start at, at the basics and and then that carried on now we're talking uh to other kind of large uh so that kind of reactivated the discussion with uh, a lot of large north american brands which we start to help we even we've had discussions with uh tim horton last month to to kind of connect them a little bit with ice hockey here um
0: and Tim Hortons
1: moved, has moved into China now as well. They're moved into China. They've opened already, I think, 20 stores, and they're planning to open over a thousand and two with a joint venture with a Chinese company over the next few years. Right. So um, uh, so yeah. It, yeah, talk a little
0: bit about the, the 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 bigger brands. You know, now that you're you know working at the marketing agency, um, and now you're getting a lot of experience working with some of those bigger famous brands. Moving into mm-hmm. the market, um, you know what's uh, what have you been learning from from working with them versus hockey or vodka?
1: Yeah, um, obviously, I think there's especially for big successful brands that are maybe successful or they have a track record for ninety years. there's sometimes a little bit of arrogance uh, when it comes for
0: sure, to the for sure, yeah.
1: Uh, where like oh, where they just. You know, and potentially well
0: earned, right? However, but yeah, yeah. slow how, and stuck in not, their
1: ways. Like, it's not a uh, bad meaning arrogance, or it's not because it's just be oh we're so well known here, like you can just use our marketing, yeah, uh, our, 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 our marketing strategy from internationally it's worked here, uh, like or we don't, you know, uh, like they kind of look at China sometimes as uh, still this kind of developing country which you know will kind of follow all the trends that are happening in the west and i think it's changed a lot both from we worked with uh Palloner beer brand uh which uh, over the last two years which had a you know very moderate modest kind of marketing approach in germany but their pricing in china just justifies that they need to have a completely uh, adapted marketing strategy the same thing with Uh, bowers i said a lot of the content marketing they do is great for north america but just so disconnected from what's happening in the local market what the consumer needs uh from uh we're talking right now another great brand zamboni which is uh gonna be uh selling you have to explain
0: to some people what a zamboni is i'm not sure all our listeners are gonna know what that is
1: ice resurfacer uh the machine that that cleans the ice yeah exactly So I mean, there's market for there's opportunity for everything from a BTC to B2B brands like that, and obviously they're they're like Kleenex. We call the machine a Zamboni, so that's, that's how true. strong. That's right, yeah, yeah. But then in Chinese, it's not called Zamboni, so then that just tells the difference. Okay, Craft dinner, to, you, yeah, exactly. You need to do some uh, brand building. So there's kind of, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of brands have now a lot of the larger brands have now Asia Pacific, China office and adapt them. But I would say if you look at the next size of brands, so these are, these are not like Nike. These are not Adidas. These are not like the, the the Heineken. They are like kind of the next level type of brand, which uh, often you still talk to the headquarters in North America and Europe. uh, There's still this connection between, uh, you know, they've, Sometimes also they kind of, a lot of people hear like, yeah, 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 we're ready to kind of adapt and kind of, uh, we want, we're really committed to it. But when it comes to really execution, then there's like layers and there's resistance. So that's, yeah, that's one of the challenge, uh, be able to really kind of, and uh, sometimes that's obviously being a foreigner has its ups, uh, upsides and downsides, obviously like we'll never have as much as a deep understanding of Everything from the uh, what's happening in the market, everything sure. from media and technology. So you need to trust and really work and have a strong local team. But sometimes, just understanding and the, you know, when you work in agency and marketing for for people, I would say fifty percent of the work or most of the work is actually the communication and be able to convince the client, get the client trusted that this is the right way to go. How much? Whether,
0: yeah. Sorry, I, I just want to go on that. Like, how much do you actually have to work on? Um, educating your clients on on the cultural sensitivities of their existence, um, especially like if, if they were regards to, you know, when you're referring to Hong Kong and Taiwan, I mean, remember that these are all considered parts of mainland China. Uh, to just about anybody who lives in mainland China, and to be to be aware of the sensitive nature of, of those topics, or even just the different tastes and preferences, right? I mean, um, we had a guest on the show uh, that was talking about KFC and a very successful entrance into into China, but they had a local uh, liaison and and kind of uh, brand Sherpa in, that was helping them get into China, who just suggested, listen, don't make the the you know the the chicken meat should should be a little bit more yellow. That's what what we're more used to over here. They may not trust it if it's white, uh, which would be the reverse, I think, in, in, you know, back home. So um, how important is that? And how like I'm I'm just curious, how much of how much education do you feel that or how much of a role do you have to play in helping people understand those things?
1: Yeah, surprisingly, always uh, for surprisingly for me, but probably not surprisingly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a big role Uh, that's how we start all of our conversations and even sometimes with Chinese clients with their own market uh, like just to look a little look a little bit at more cultural issues I feel like a lot of the conversations are starting from uh, from the bottom up where it should be starting from up to bottom so they're like oh we need to be on this platform we need to be on this uh, new social media it's really up and trendy before actually discussing, what are you gonna say to the market? Who's actually your target audience? And the thing is, a lot of people kind of say, oh, it's China this, China that. But I mean, coming from Quebec, for example, if a company came into Quebec with exactly the same strategy, an American company with exactly the same message as it has in the US, it would fail. There's market adaptation, there's cultural adaptation in every single market, every single target audience. What are you talking to? 18 to 25-year-old or to 40 to 50-year-old. China's not different. China, mm-hmm. It's not because it's the big monsters. It's just That's understanding right. the audience, understanding your niche, what motivates them, what they need, where they are, what type of message, what color speaks to them, what type of uh, 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 products they want, and then uh, kind of reaching them where they are with topics that are interested to them. And you... So, you- You've been, me, there, uh, you've been there you've been there ten really years, right? About, it's just about uh having a proper marketing strategy that is uh, like segmented and ad- adapted to different target audiences.
0: You've you've been there ten years?
1: Yeah, close to ten so I was eight years. years.
0: Eight years. Um, you you know by now. Um one thing that I I learned as well, and it was uh I think a naive assumption that I was making without realizing I was actually consciously making an assumption was that China is is big it's a big place it's the third largest you know um by land size country in the world and it is not exactly as homogenous around the country as people think so when we talk about cultural differences preferences tastes behaviors um they can actually change and quite vary i mean if you're you know i, I think a brand strategy in um Hainan, or or Shenzhen is going to be a lot different than if you're you know uh, pitching to companies up in Harbin. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean that goes in line very much with what I was saying. Like, there's if you market, if you go back to the U.S. to market and to New York City versus yeah. uh, North Dakota, is going to be cultural differences which might be as big as New York versus Beijing or Beijing or actually there, there might or Beijing versus Dalian, as you were saying. Right. So, obviously as we were talking about data and research every kind of you know good branding and marketing strategies should start with good data and good research and then after that kind of find the insight to add on top of that kind of maybe a emotional connection with roots so when we do we have this thing that we put client in a framework and we're like there's pop cultural issues which are what's coming and going within two, three years. And you need to t- address that and target that, and be be uh, relevant to that. But there's also bigger metacultural issues about China, which have been going on for a hundred years. Sure. And these are free insights which are, are out there in the market. And people often forget, but a culture, a, a culture doesn't change from, uh, you know, just because of a new social media platform or a new kind of, um, and goes in the market to so like connect both with metaculture and pop culture, then you'll have a sustainable brand. If you just want to make the quick sale here, yeah, you can go into a pop cultural trend or uh, the new platform and kind of like uh, make your quick buck. But if you want to have a sustainable kind of presence and strategy, you need to you need to connect more at a deeper level and also kind of use what's trendy now. Right. So this uh, I, I think both also for Chinese brands that we work with, it's changing in the market uh i mean there you know because of the growth pattern that has been from i would say 2008 to 2015. it was all about growing as fast as you can there was so much money available out there and it was about not about building a brand but about uh, 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 um, maximizing sales reaching out to more and more people but now it's getting more and more competitive creating actually value is becoming important. Uh, there's been a lot, after seeing a lot of failure story, uh, venture capitalists are much more uh, risk averse. Uh, so there's much more, I think, and I we see it with the brands that we work in loc- locally as well. People are just getting more and more educated about what it is to just kind of uh, what it takes to be able to, Build a little bit more loyalty because it, uh, you know, because we've seen, you know, new company kind of taken taken over market shares from another company who was developing through market uh, through price penetration. But once the next guy that had more investment came in and with a more competitive price, then users would change overnight to this new company. So that's not a sustainable model. So if you're not able to kind of build a yeah. little bit of loyal customer base, yeah.
0: China China really is growing up right before our eyes. In a lot of ways, it's it's becoming a more sophisticated environment. It's um, You're able to rely and use uh, more sophisticated data and you're dealing with a more sophisticated consumer, uh, whether it's B2B or B2C. So that's one of the reasons we're doing this show and talking to people like you, Charles. Tell me about something that, you know, one of the biggest uh, evolutions or changes or uh, advances that you've seen over the last five years, just uh, from five years ago till now, and then uh, give me a little bit of a a thought or a a prediction of uh, where you see something going over the next five years.
1: Well, I would say uh, two things, but quickly, obviously, uh, the technology, technological development, just the ease of life here. I remember coming here five years ago waiting in the streets for a taxi to pick me up and then having to (laughs) options and stuff to now completely cashless society where everything is uh uh everything from delivery from food from anything basically you want to buy is at the access of your phone and uh, the integration of dd and basically like uh integration of um algorithm that just makes I mean it's it's technology that just makes the life easier uh, convenience is one of the big reasons I think a lot of people like China it's a just a really really convenient uh, place to live uh, everything is accessible everything is easy to get so um, and then obviously I think for me the other thing that I saw change more is the people. Uh, just the quality of the people that are coming through my office or that I'm meeting every day, just, they're just getting educated very, very fast. And then uh, the quality of the interactions I'm getting are are much better. Um, Where it's going to go in the next five years. I mean, it's, it's just a country on its path to becoming a developing country. So uh, the economy is becoming more mature. People are changing less from a job to another. It's it's just going to, get a little bit less and less crazy. Uh, It's going to start to look a little bit more like from a lifestyle perspective to what we have in North America. But I think because of the lack of barrier from whatever political issues there is, I think, you know, China is definitely going to be to watch for any kind of technological advancement. There's going to be more and more Chinese brands being successful in the West.
0: So, Charles, last question. Give our listeners your number one piece of advice about doing business in China.
1: This might be a place that's moving fast, but be patient and just ask a lot of questions. Uh, Chinese people are usually very happy to talk about their culture. They'll answer a lot of questions. Just ask and ask and listen. Uh, that would be my first uh, you know, modesty and then be patient.
0: Charles, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China.